Welcome to the podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled "The Denying Disciple" from our series "Flawed Followers." And if you have your Bible, I'm in John 21 today. John 21, beginning in the 15th verse down to the 23rd verse. John chapter 21 today is our text. We're going to be starting a new series this morning. I'll be on this till the end of the month. And if I had a title uh, uh, for this series, it would simply be Flawed Followers. Say that with me. Flawed Followers. I got to thinking the other day about what we profess as believers in the Lord Jesus and you know, how often today we hear, tragically, sadly, about those in leadership or those in ministry who end up making a train wreck of their lives and falling in some way. Many of us today could remember right off the top of our heads, if I were to ask you, did you ever watch or support a ministry whose leader had a fall from grace? Most of us can immediately call names of people who did, right? Many of us can think of politicians at the highest levels of our nation's leadership who had a fall or a great moral setback. When you read the pages of the Bible, we often find people in leadership who had fallen in some way. They were flawed followers. Say that with me. Flawed followers. And I want to tell you today, we find them even in the inner circle of Jesus We find several of his disciples who had some very major issues that they struggled through. And one of them didn't make it through it. Amen. Anyone remember a man named Judas? His failure was final. Amen. His flaw was fatal. He never recovered from his. But I'm thankful to tell you today that according to Jesus and the stories in the New Testament, most of the time, say most of the time, Most of the time, our failures are not final. Aren't you thankful for that? Our failures are not final. They don't have to be the end of us. They don't have to be the end of our walk with God or even the end of our serving God if you are willing to respond to God's grace in that great moment of trial when failure comes in your life. Even if you're the one who failed and made horrible mistakes by your own choosing, there's great grace to be found. And no one knew that better than the man whose story we'll study today, and that is the Apostle Peter, who was restored lovingly by Jesus on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. And his story is in John, the 21st chapter. Amen? John 21 is we're going to be reading together today. On Easter, we celebrate our glorious, victorious, risen, reigning Lord who conquered death and hell. And you might would assume that his followers were equally impressive. All of them, real men of faith and power, courage and strength. You'd be mistaken if you believe that. That isn't always the case. When I read the stories that follow the resurrection of Jesus, I'm amazed at just how honest the disciples are about themselves. People say, how do you know the gospel is true? One of the ways I know the gospels are true is simply this. The people who wrote them did not make themselves look good. (laughs) If I was going to write a book and I was trying to persuade someone of something that wasn't true, I would make myself look really good, wouldn't you? But we know the gospel is true because the men who wrote the gospel were honest about the account even when the story didn't make them look good. 
That's one of the ways we know the gospel is true. And Peter and his account here and John, their account, is one of the ways we know this. We've got denying Peter, doubting Thomas. We've got the discouraged pair on the road to Emmaus. In fact, the very first Easter, Jesus found his disciples hiding out in an upper room with the doors and the windows locked, cowering in fear, afraid that either the Jews or the Romans were going to break in and drag them away and crucify them the way they'd done Jesus. Do our doubts and our fears, our denials and our disobedience disqualify us ultimately from being the disciples of Jesus? Is there any hope for flawed followers like them or like us? Well, I want us to look at God's Word as we wrestle with it, and I think we'll be pleased with the answer. Notice the text this morning, verse 15. If you found it, say amen. John 21, verse 15. Hear the word of the Lord. So when they had eaten breakfast, Simon, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Verse 18, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Verse 20. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who had also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Would you pray with me today? Father, bless our reading and our hearing of your word. Anoint me to preach it and open our hearts that we might grow by it. And we'll bless you and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If I were to ask you today, what do Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Edison, and Michael Jordan all have in common? The answer is, they were epic failures before they were roaring successes. All three of them. Failure is only the opportunity to begin again, this time more wisely, Henry Ford said. Thomas Edison said, I have not failed. I have simply found 10,000 ways that won't work. That's optimism, isn't it? I love this quote from Michael Jordan. It's one of my favorites. He said, I have missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I have failed over and over and over in my life, he says, and that is why I have succeeded. 
One unknown but very wise man said, success is the ability to go from failure to failure without losing your enthusiasm. I like that. Failure on our part often leads to guilt over what we've done and shame over what we are, especially when our failure is moral failure. We've sinned in some way. If, if it leads us into great sin against the Lord and others, perhaps no one in the Bible felt the sting of failure more acutely than the man we just read about, Simon Peter, the denying disciple. Say the denying disciple. Why are you calling him that? Well, we call, we call Thomas the doubting disciple, right? It was kind of unfair, isn't it? Thomas gets labeled that, and we don't call Peter the denying disciple, and we don't call Mark the one who ran naked because he was afraid, right? That story's in the Bible, remember? Yeah. Hmm. But Thomas got labeled, didn't he? Have you ever been labeled? <laughs> it's not fun to be labeled, is it? It's not fun to fail publicly in front of everyone, and then them affix a label to you so that everyone remembers what you did. Amen? Some of us today have nicknames that come from our failures, right? I remember when I was in college, I was in my sophomore year, and I went walking through the cafeteria one day, and I was tapping my friends on the head as I went down the line to the lunch line, and I was going, duck, 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 duck. And I tapped the last one on the head, and he got up and started chasing me around the college cafeteria and finally grabbed me, and in front of everybody yelled, goose! <laughs> Guess what I was called my entire sophomore year of college? Goose! It didn't help when they found out I played the piano and Top Gun was still pretty popular back then, right? So it stuck. That was it. Some of us get labeled by our failures. Some of us don't. It's great if you don't. But I want you to notice Peter today and his journey from failure to restoration. And I want us to talk about this today. Can we ever find our way back? Is our failure final? No, it isn't. You may be a flawed follower, but I want to tell you today, Jesus still has a place for you if you'll come home and you'll return to him today. Notice the first step of this journey, the misstep of Simon Peter. Say the misstep. He made a horrible misstep. Peter failed horribly. He sinned against the Lord Jesus. He, he wrecked his testimony. He denied that he knew the Lord. Most of us are very familiar with the story. If you're new to the faith, let me give you the thumbnail version real quickly. The Bible says that on the night that Jesus was being tried, when they had arrested him and he went to stand trial, Peter was the man who had boasted great things about his love for Jesus. And Jesus had predicted and said, This night all of you will fall away on the account of me. And Peter boasted and said, No, Lord, even if all the other disciples were to deny you, I will never deny you. I love you more than that. In essence, what Peter was saying was, I love you more than the rest of these guys. I'm a better disciple than the other 11. You can count on me, Lord. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, the reality is, before the rooster crows and the dawn breaks, you will deny me three times. And Peter swore an oath and said, No, no, Lord, I will never deny you. You can count on me. I am Peter. Peter means a rock. Jesus had given him that name. Lord, I'm your rock. You can count on me. You can lean on me, Jesus. You're the one who gave me that name, and I'm going to be rock steady. You can depend on me. And yet, if you've read the story, we all know that three times that night, different people approached Peter and said, aren't you one of his disciples? You talk with a Galilean accent just like he does. You must be one of his followers. And all three times, Peter denied that he even knew who Jesus was, much less that he was a follower or an inner circle member of Jesus' band of apostles. He denied him. 
and, and the last time he even cursed and swore that he did not know the man. And the Bible says that immediately the cock crowed. The rooster sounded his blast. And the Bible says, and Jesus looked at him and their eyes locked. And Peter went away weeping. He realized in that moment that Jesus' prediction had come true. And that he had failed the Lord not once but three times. He had denied his, his, his master. The amazing thing to me about the story is this. Number one, notice his denial. Say his denial. But what's amazing to me is that Peter seems so caught off guard by his failure, but Jesus isn't caught off guard. Have you ever been there? Have you ever sinned greatly and had to come back before the Lord and it shocks you that you were capable of doing what you did? Have you ever said something and heard the words coming out of your mouth and almost caught yourself and said, I can't believe I just said that. You ever done that? Okay, just your pastor and Miss Libby. Miss Libby, you and I have done that. A few of us have done that. H have you ever been in a moment where you just really royally messed up and you step back and go, I can't believe I did that. Remember Steve Urkel? Did I do that? You ever had a did I do that moment? Yeah. We seem so surprised and so shocked when we mess up. And yet the thing in the story that gets me is Jesus is not surprised at all by Peter's failure. He saw it coming a mile off. He predicted that it would happen. Peter, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Peter was overwhelmed and caught off guard, but Jesus was not caught off guard. He had seen his confidence in his own strength. He had seen his pride in his own willpower. He had seen his arrogance about his own love for Jesus. And Jesus knew Peter better than Peter knew himself. Paul reminds us, in my flesh dwells no good thing. The reality is, if any of us stand for Jesus, it is because the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit have enabled us to stand. The Lord gets all the credit for my standing, and I take all the blame for my falling. Do you hear me? That's just how that works. If I stand, I stand by the grace of God. If I make it, I make it by the power that the Spirit of God supplies. If we're ever able to resist the pull of temptation, it's because we were walking in the Spirit instead of the flesh, and the Spirit was enabling us to live the life that we ought to live. Amen? And anyone who knows themselves knows that that is true. And Peter didn't know that at this moment. He thought he could make it in his own strength and power, but Jesus knew better. So we have his denial. Then we have his depression. Say his depression. The Bible says he left weeping. We know that he's depressed. The Bible says on the morning of the resurrection that James and John come running to the tomb. And he's the last one there. John outruns him to the tomb. And Peter shows up last. Now some people would say, well, now John was a lot younger than Peter. That's why he outran him to the tomb. Well, maybe. Or maybe Peter was not in any hurry to get to the tomb. Maybe Peter was not in any hurry to face the risen Christ just in case he was alive. Maybe, maybe Peter was still embarrassed about the last encounter he had with Jesus. It's interesting, he's very depressed. And the other way we know that he's depressed is that Peter returns to his old life. Whenever Jesus does finally encounter him in the story, where is he? He's fishing. He's back on the boat. He's doing what he did for a living before he became, began following Jesus. Now he's got a call to preach on his life. He's supposed to be an apostle. And what has he done? 
He's gone back to his old business. As far as he's concerned, it's over. His life is over. His following Jesus is over. His ministry is over. And he's gone back to his old way of life. He's returned to the fishing business. He's depressed. And then finally, notice his discouragement. Say his discouragement. I love the story in the verses just before the ones we read. The the Bible tells us, I didn't read it for the sake of time, but the Bible says that on this occasion, Jesus shows up on the Sea of Galilee, and they don't recognize him yet. He's on the seashore, and he's cooking breakfast. He's cooking fish for breakfast. Men, that's a real breakfast, isn't it? Fish for breakfast. Amen. People think I'm weird. I like good salmon patties for breakfast sometimes. Woo, that's strong for breakfast. Yeah, I'm I'm a strong boy. Amen. Amen. Fish for breakfast. Nothing like it. Jesus is cooking fish on the fire for breakfast. They don't recognize him. And so Jesus recreates the scene from their past that Peter, of all people, would remember. And he shouts to them. They've been fishing all night. And he says, have you caught anything? Do you have any meat? And they said, no. And Jesus shouts back and says, throw the net on the other side. And they do. And The miraculous catch of fish that happened at the beginning of the gospel when Peter first met Jesus happens again at the end of the gospel and all of a sudden John recognizes it and he shouts to the shore and says, it's Jesus. Yeah, you think? (laughs) These aren't always the brightest crayons in the box, are they, right? When you read the story, oh, it's Jesus. Yeah, it's Jesus. And here they are, and the Bible says Jesus shouts to them and says, bring some of the fish. Say some. So notice what Peter does. The Bible says Peter, when he sees that it's the Lord, jumps overboard. Now why would he do that? Because he's scared. He's nervous. He jumps over. And the Jesus said, bring some of the fish. What does Peter do? The Bible says he drags the whole net up on the bank and comes up to Jesus with an entire net breaking with fish. You want some fish, Jesus? Jesus, I got you fish. You want a few fish? How's this for fish? And he drops the whole net at the feet of Jesus. What is Peter acting like? He's acting like a little boy who got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. That's what he's acting like, isn't he? He's acting like someone who's embarrassed. He's acting like someone who's very nervous about this encounter with Jesus. And he doesn't know what's about to happen. But he's very much on guard because he isn't sure what Jesus is going to say to him. He's like a little kid who's been caught in trouble trying to prove how good he can be to his daddy. And that's how he acts when he recognizes Jesus. So that's the misstep of Peter. But notice the mercy of Jesus. Say the mercy of Jesus. I love the mercy of Jesus. Number one, he reassures Peter's relationship. He reassures him even before this passage. The Bible says that whenever Jesus encountered Mary Magdalene in the garden in in Matthew 28, he said, go tell my disciples that I am risen and I go before them into Galilee and I will meet them there. But actually the verse doesn't just say, go tell my disciples. It says what? Read it with me. Tell my disciples and Peter that I'm going into Galilee. Why did Jesus do that? Because my suspicion is this. Peter, if he had just heard the phrase, go tell my disciples, Peter might not have shown up that day. Because as far as he was concerned, he was no longer on that list. He was no longer included in that number. He had failed the Lord and he didn't count himself to be among the Lord's disciples any longer. 
And so here he is. But Jesus reassures him of the relationship. Peter, I still love you and I still want you and I still count you among my number. Tell my disciples and Peter. Peter, you're still included in my love. And I expect to see you whenever my disciples gather. Can I tell you something? One of the things that causes many people to stop attending church is when they get ensnared in some kind of sin. Listen to me. Randy, am I telling the truth? Whenever people get in bondage in some way, whenever they start to get their rope in knots, whenever they start to make a mess, whenever we begin to slip, whenever we begin to get entangled in something we should not be part of, our first tendency is to withdraw from church. The enemy comes and overloads us, and, and, and it, listen, we feel guilty because we've sinned. But the enemy adds to our guilt shame and says, oh, you've blown it. You've messed up too badly. You could never be included again. God could never use you because of what you've done. And our shame pushes us away, and we withdraw from the house of God, and we leave the fellowship of believers. We get embarrassed over what's going on in our lives, and the enemy isolates us and then we just go deeper and deeper into our sin because we're not under the preaching of the word we're not in the presence of God where God can deliver us and work in our lives and he isolates us and then he picks us off and he takes us out that's what he wanted to do to Peter Jesus wanted to make sure this didn't happen to Peter so he sent message and said Peter you make sure you're there when my disciples meet me in Galilee. I want to see them but I want to see you too. Can I tell you today the thing I love about Jesus is this no matter what you've done this week Jesus still wants you here. No matter how badly you've messed up Jesus still wants you here. Now here may mean in this altar at the end of the service and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with coming to an altar. There's nothing wrong with coming and saying Lord I've messed up and I need you to forgive me. There's everything right about that. It is right that we should do that. But to come to not allow our failure to keep us out of church or to keep us out of God's presence. But to hear Jesus reassure us I still love you and I still want you. He assures them of the relationship. Number two he restarts their fellowship. Say that with me. He restarts their fellowship. The fellowship between Jesus and Peter had been broken by Peter's sin. They'd not really spoken one-on-one -on -one since that night. Sin always breaks my fellowship with God. It'll do that. Have you noticed that? I don't know about you, but I've noticed this with my children. We can be having a wonderful afternoon. We can be playing in the yard. We can be having a great time. We can be enjoying fellowship. We can be spending lots of time together. Everything can be going well. And then all of a sudden, one of your children start misbehaving. Ever had that happen? And then you have to correct that child. And it's like all of a sudden, all the fun leaks out of the afternoon, right? I mean, you're on the creek bank and you're fishing and you're having a good time and then one of them starts swinging the fishing pole the wrong way and you correct them and they don't quit and the next thing you know, you've got a lure lodged in the back of somebody's head and you're heading to the emergency room, right? <laughs> the joy just leaked out of the whole trip, amen? All of us have been that way. Sin breaks our fellowship. It does that between us and God as well. Whenever we, get, whenever we get over into sin, whenever we begin to disobey God, all of a sudden we notice our fellowship with God is broken. We stop talking to Him. We can't hear Him speaking to us. We lose our peace. We lose our comfort. We lose that sense of close intimacy with God. All of that is broken by our sin and yet Jesus comes along and says, Peter, I intend to restore the intimacy of our relationship. I intend to restart the fellowship that we once had. He calls him Simon. Say Simon. 
Jesus had changed his name to Peter, but in this conversation, he takes him back to his pre-conversion name, Simon, son of Jonah, he says to him. Why does he do that? This is not a rejection by Jesus. Jesus didn't call him over to reject him. He called him over to restore him. Amen? What is he doing then? Well, what he's doing is he's allowing Peter to start over at the beginning and wipe the slate clean and say, let's begin just like we first met and let's put all this behind us. Let's get everything under the blood and then let's start over in our relationship with God. Some of you are here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, I walked with the Lord one time. I I was part of the church one time. I I have a relationship with God in my history. I have a connection with the church in my history. And something happened along the journey and I wandered away and I got damaged and I got beaten up by life. I ended up wrecking my relationship with Him. My fellowship with God got broken and it's been a long time. I've noticed the Lord doing something in our church lately. He's been reconnecting some people who haven't been here in a while. He's been bringing some people home, and they're beginning to feel like it's home again. I'm so glad for that. I'm so thankful for that. Please know that that is what we've been praying for would happen here. If you're here and you used to be connected and you want to be connected again, we, you say, are you that okay with it? We've been asking God to do this. We've been believing God to do this. Your arrival was an answer to prayer. We're excited about you coming and connecting again with the Forest Hill family. And the Lord Jesus is excited. What does Jesus offer Peter? He says, let's just start over at the beginning. Some of you are here today and you say, Pastor, I wish I could just begin fresh with Jesus. You can. You can. He comes to him and he starts back to the beginning. Simon. He addresses the issue, do you love me? I love that. Do you love me? Now, some preachers play on the two words here. There are two words Jesus uses for love, phileo and agapao. And some people think that there's something going on there. I I disagree with that. And if you disagree with me, I can tell you why after church. Come see me. But I won't get into all that this morning. The bottom line was this. The issue was a matter of love. Say love. Ultimately, sin has to deal with the failure of our love. Whenever I sin, it's because I love me more than I love you. That's why I sinned against you. In that moment, I loved me more than I loved you. And the same with God. In that moment, I wanted what I wanted more than I wanted to please the Lord, right? That's how we end up in sin. That's what sin is. It's a failure of love. And so what Jesus addresses is the issue of love. The other reason I think Jesus addresses the love question is this. What Peter had boasted was his love, right? Lord, I won't fall away from you. I love you more than that. And I love you more than these guys. And so Jesus comes back to this issue and says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And he doesn't just say, do you love me? But he says, do you love me more than these? Again, scholars debate about what does he mean? Is he talking about the fish? That's option one, say the fish. Peter's gone back to his old way of life. And it it could be that Jesus is saying to him, Peter, do you love me more than your old life? Do you love me more than your old career? Do you love me more than the fishing business? Do you love me more than these fish that you just laid at my feet? I want to tell you, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to have to love him more than money. I'm going to have to love him more than my career. I'm going to have to love him more than my possessions. Amen? But I believe it's more likely that Jesus was not talking about the fish, but he was talking about the other disciples around him. 
Because Peter had boasted that his love was greater than theirs. And I believe Jesus is pointing at them and saying, do you love me more than these guys? But now Peter is humbled. Peter is humbled. And notice his answer. He never says, I love you more. Do you notice it? He doesn't. He says, yes, Lord, I love you. But he never says, I love you more than these guys, right? He doesn't say that. Why? He is humbled. He has failed. He has come face to face with his own flesh, his own sinfulness, his own weakness. And now he knows better than to boast a great game like that in front of Jesus. And yet, yet, Peter can honestly say, Lord, I do love you. Even though I failed, I do love you. And can I tell you something today? I have met people throughout my ministry of whom this is true. Many people would assume and judge them and say, well, you know what, those people don't love the Lord at all. And that the proof of it is that they sinned and that they messed up. Not so fast. Not so fast. I don't believe that is always the case. I believe with all my heart that this is the fundamental difference between Simon Peter and Judas Iscariot. Judas failed the Lord, and I don't think he loved the Lord. I think he loved himself only. And his failure was final. Peter loved the Lord, but his love wasn't strong enough to pass the test in the time of trial. Some of you have been there and said with all your heart, I fail the Lord, but I love the Lord. Is that possible? It is possible. And it's recoverable. And the good news of the gospel is the Lord Jesus can do a work in my life. He can do something in my heart so that the next time the test comes around, I pass it and I don't fail it. You hear me? How do you know that? Peter. (laughs) Jesus restored him and he told him. He said, you know what, Peter? One day you will keep your promise. One day you will lay down your life for me. When you're old, they'll come for you and they will take you out and they will nail you to a tree like they did me. Peter, one day you will keep that promise. But something's going to happen to you between that day and this day. And that something, I believe, was Pentecost. Amen? When the Holy Spirit came and filled up and empowered his life. Jesus restarts their relationship. Three times, once for each denial. There has to be a confession of sin. We have to acknowledge on our part that we've done wrong. There has to be a repentance. Notice how Peter's answer changes the third time Jesus asked him. All his pride is gone. The third time, verse 17, he says... He says, do you love me? And the Bible says Peter was grieved and he said to him, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Lord, you know my heart. Yeah, the Lord knew his heart. The Lord knew his heart when he failed, remember? You're going to deny me three times. And what Peter is counting on in this moment is that the Lord, who knew that he was going to fail him, also knows this confession is true. Lord, I love you. You know that I love you. And Jesus restores him. I love that. I love, the, I love the testimony there. Here he is, Simon Peter, leaning in for the Lord's grace and the Lord's help. He restarts their fellowship. Finally, he restores his apostleship. Say he restores. Notice what Jesus says to him. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. It's amazing to me that Jesus would do this. It's shocking to us that Jesus would do this. Many of us could believe that Jesus would allow him to be a disciple again. But what Jesus is doing in this passage is not only restoring his discipleship, but he's restoring his apostleship. 
Jesus is not only saying to him, you are permitted to be a member of the group, but he is saying to him, I'm restoring your place of leadership in the group. Many of us would expect that on the day of Pentecost, Peter would be over in the corner saying, I'm just glad I'm allowed to be included today. But instead, it is Peter who steps up on the apple crate box and waves his Bible and says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel and preaches the sermon that opens the doors of the church to the world. Peter, the denier, the one who failed, the one who messed up. I don't know about you, but anybody but a Pharisee ought to be able to shout over that. That my failure is not final. That my mistakes don't define me. That my sin, no matter how grievous, is not the only thing that's true about me, even though it is true about me. There's more to me than my sin. There's more than what you've been labeled. There's more to you than what you did in your past. Your future does not hinge on your past failure. Your future hinges on what Jesus did when he died and rose again for you. I wonder how the other disciples felt about this moment. I mean, I wonder. I wonder what they thought. You know, they couldn't say a whole lot because they all ran too. You remember that? Jesus said, all of you will desert me this night. And they all did. Now, they didn't all deny him three times like Peter did, but they all messed up. It always amazes me how that we can get that way with other disciples, right? Did you mess up? Yeah, but not like they did. Mm. Lord, help us. I can't deny grace to anybody else if as long as I need grace myself. I can't burn the bridge for somebody else because it's the only bridge that will get me home to. Oh, hallelujah. And Jesus taught us to pray and forgive us our debts in the same way that we forgive our debtors. What does it mean then? The meaning of discipleship. Say the meaning. What does it mean to follow him? Jesus restores him. No probation period. No stern warning. Don't you ever do this again. He restores him publicly in front of his fellow disciples. And then Jesus teaches him the meaning of discipleship. What does it mean? Number one, it means to obey the commission of Jesus. Say obey. Discipleship means obedience. It means to obey God. He, he looks at him, and, and love is proven by obedience to Jesus. Jesus said it, if you love me, obey my commands. And so I prove that I love Jesus by obeying him. And then I prove that I love Jesus by serving him. Jesus said to him, if you love me, feed my sheep. Why does anyone go into the ministry? Because they love Jesus. And if we love Jesus, we will serve his people. Amen? I can't feed Jesus, but I can feed a hungry man. And Jesus says that he counts it as me feeding him. Right? We can't serve Jesus. We can't give Jesus anything Jesus needs. Jesus doesn't need anything. He's in heaven on the throne of the universe. Amen? God says I own the cattle on a thousand hills. And if I was hungry, I wouldn't have to ask you for a sacrifice. Ooh. The only way we can serve God is by serving somebody else down here in the name of Jesus. That's how we serve him. Love is proven by obedience. Love is proven by service. Number two, we submit to the will of Christ. 
I love this little conversation Peter gets into about John. Jesus looks at him and says, when you're old, they're going to chain your hands and they're going to drag you away and you're going to keep your promise to die for me in the end. And Peter turns around and sees John who's overhearing the conversation. That's why he was able to write it down because he was eavesdropping. (laughs) And he says, what about him, Lord? What's going to happen to him? And I love the line. Jesus said, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. If I will, say if I will. Discipleship is about the will of Jesus. And sooner or later for every one of us, the will of God is going to run right across our will. And that's where the cross comes into play, right? And we have to nail our will to the cross and go with what God asks us to do and what God commands us to do. What if I will? This is not about Peter and John. It's about Peter and Jesus. Whose will is going to win out? At the end of the day, we can often look and say, well, you know what? It costs me more to follow Jesus than it costs somebody else. Well, you know what? There are Christians all over the world who would trade places with anybody in this room this morning. If you don't believe me, David Mills can introduce you to tribes full of them. Amen? They'd swap with any of us today. Say, give me the key to your house. Swap incomes with me. Swap countries and freedoms with me. But at the end of the day, it's not about what does it cost me versus what does it cost you. At the end of the day, this is not between me and you. This is between me and Jesus. And I might could look at you and say it's costing me more to obey than it is for you to obey. But I can never come to Jesus and say it costs me more than it did you. I can never fall down at the foot of Calvary. And complain about it, what it costs me to follow or obey or submit my will. Paul says, I will boast. I could boast about many things, but he said, I'll boast about nothing except the cross of Jesus. Because by it, I am crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me. The cross settles the question. Number three, it means to follow the steps of Jesus. Say follow I obey, I submit, I follow Peter. Doesn't matter what I do with John. You follow me. Follow the steps of Jesus wherever they may lead. They're different for every one of us. Do you know that all of the disciples, their stories all ended differently? They all ended differently. Only one of them did not die a violent death, and that was John. But all of them died in a different country, in a different place, on a different field of service. We must follow the steps of Jesus wherever they lead. And it's not the same for everyone. And we must follow the steps of Jesus whatever it costs. That's between me and Jesus. It's personal. It's not about me and anyone else. Let me ask you today. Have you failed the Lord? Do you need the Lord Jesus to restore you today? Are you here today and you're one of the people who would say, Pastor, I've got history with Jesus. I've walked with God in the past. I've been part of the church. I've done this thing before. And I've sort of slipped back in recently. And I've really had questions about this. Will the Lord really forgive me no matter what I've done? Yes, he will. Oh, Pastor, I wish I could just start over in my relationship with Jesus. I wish I could just come back and everything could go under the blood of Jesus and I could just start fresh like the first time that Jesus and I met. Can I do that? According to Peter, yes, you can. Simon, do you love me? Jesus will start you right at the beginning. He'll forgive your sin. He'll bring you back. Well, pastor, I know I could come back. Do you think God could ever use me? Can God use me even though I've messed up? 
Simon, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. If Peter is an example to any of us, he proves to us that God can restore us from our failure. And he can use our lives even though we mess up. But what must we do? We must be willing to obey Jesus. We must be willing to submit to the will of Jesus. We must be willing to follow Jesus. The terms are no different than they were at the beginning. But the good news of the gospel is your past failures don't disqualify you from starting over and going forward again. Stand with me all over God's house. Maybe you're a flawed follower today. I want to tell you there's not a person in the room today who can't testify that at some point on the journey they haven't messed up and slipped and fallen. For some of us it may have been in big public ways. For some of us it may have been in a thousand private ways. For some of us it may have tarnished our reputation. For others of us no one may have known about our struggle. It may have been private and hidden from other people's eyes. But can I tell you today no matter where you are and what you've done The good news of the gospel is this. Jesus will receive you. Jesus will receive you. We believe that when we first get saved. That's why we become Christians, isn't it? We hear the message, Jesus will forgive my sins. But somewhere along the way, we stop believing the gospel after a little while. We start to believe, well, Jesus loves me as long as I'm doing okay. Jesus loves me as long as I'm batting a thousand. Jesus loves me as long as... My friend, Jesus proved his love for you while you were still a sinner. Some of us act like shocked or surprised by the sin that we've committed or the failure that happened after we became a Christian. Can I assure you that Jesus saw your fall coming just like he saw Peter's fall coming? Jesus was not caught off guard when you fell off the wagon. Jesus was not caught off guard when you sinned. Jesus was not shocked or surprised when you did what you did. Jesus was not blown away. Jesus didn't drop his dentures when he looked down and saw you doing what you did. He wasn't. He saw it coming a mile off. Jesus, like he did with Peter, has brought you back to his house and brought you under a simple little message like this morning to say to you one thing. I saw this coming even though you didn't. Your failure didn't catch me off guard. And your sin has not diminished my love for you, not even a little bit. I love you. Always have, always will. Pastor, does that mean sin isn't a big deal? I didn't say that. Does that mean there aren't consequences to sin? Oh, anybody who's ever sinned knows there's consequences to sin. Some of them, things that sometimes, consequences that last for years, right? Yeah. But what I'm saying today is this. You may be serving a sentence on something that you did a long time ago. And it may not be over with yet. There still may be complications in your life that came because of your sin. That may very well be true. Am I telling you that Jesus is going to cancel all those out? No. But what I am telling you is this. On top of all the brokenness that's coming to your life for your sin, you don't have to stay separated from Jesus today you don't have to stay cut off from the house of God you don't have to stay out there in the world you don't have to keep living this thing by yourself you don't have to do that Jesus stands ready to forgive you 
Pastor, do you believe that? Yes, I do. I believe in the grace of God. I lean on it. I depend on it. Oh, Pastor, really? Yeah, really? (laughs) And I'm telling you today, if you're here, no matter what's happened and no matter how long it's been, Jesus has a simple question for you today. Do you love me? I want to ask you the question Jesus asked Peter today. I'm not asking you what you did. I'm not asking you how long it's been. I'm not asking you for all the backstory and all the history. I'm asking you a simple question. Why are you here today? Why did you come back to the Lord's house? I believe I know the answer. Because down deep in your heart, there is part of you, even though it's been a long time and even though you may have messed up greatly, there is something on the inside of you that cannot deny the fact you really do love the Lord. You do. You love the Lord. You love Jesus. You want a relationship with Jesus. You long to be connected to Jesus. You miss your fellowship with Jesus. You miss hearing His voice. You miss Him speaking to you. You miss talking to Him in prayer and Him talking back to you. You miss opening the Word and Him dropping a nugget in your heart. You miss being among the people of God and feeling the presence of God when the power of God moves in the congregation. You miss it. Admit it. You miss this. You want to be part of this. Do you love him? Well, let me tell you the good news of Jesus today. Jesus says, well, then come. Get back in, Simon. Feed my sheep. Start working in the kingdom again. Get plugged back in. Come and start doing what you're called to do again. Don't waste any more years in the world. Don't spend any more time out there waiting to restart your relationship. Restart it this morning. What are you waiting on? What's holding you back? Why would you hold off and and do this half and half thing? Why would you do that another week when Jesus stands ready to say, I love you, I forgive you, I'm willing to receive you, come back home, let's get this thing straight today. So as we prepare to open this altar in prayer this morning, I want to ask you, if you're here, and your relationship with God is broken or damaged or strained today. But your heart says, I want this. I want this. I want to know Jesus. I want to walk with God. I want to have a relationship with Him. I want my intimacy with Him back. I want my fellowship with God. I want my connection to His house back. I want to be among God's people again. I want that back, Pastor. I want it back. You don't have to come down and explain to me all that happened. You don't have to give me a laundry list of why you left and what led to your return. Listen, this is not between me and you. This is between you and Jesus. It's between you and Jesus. So come to Jesus today. Confess your sin. Confess your failure. Be honest before it. Do the hard thing Peter did. Come bow down at the feet of Jesus and allow him to address your life today. Confess your sin. Admit it. Ask His forgiveness and His grace. And tell Him, I love you and I want my relationship with you back. Lord, will you restore my heart? Lord, will you receive me again? Lord, will you help me to begin right where I left off? And can we just start over? In spite of the past failure, in spite of the... Lord, can we start fresh today? Can I begin my relationship with you afresh? And I want to tell you, the Bible says, Jesus is willing for you to do that today. Are you ready? Are you ready? 
Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I know as well as I know my name, some hearts in this room are stirred and some people are longing to mend their relationship with the Lord. I pray that no shame, no embarrassment, no fear, no anxiety, no worry about what somebody else around them would think would hold them back or hinder them from being willing to come to Jesus today and saying, Jesus, I am ready. I am ready. I want this. I long for my relationship with you to be restored. Jesus, meet me here this morning in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray you draw them. I pray you pull them. I pray their heart feel the Holy Spirit inviting them to come. And I pray they'd move today. They'd make the decision that I'm returning to Jesus. In Jesus' name, God's people said. Chad, lead us in song today. The altar's open. If you need to restore your relationship with Christ, if you need to return, come. Come. Someone would love to pray with you today. Jesus will meet you here. That's the promise. That's the promise. Let's celebrate that today. The altar's open. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you were blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org. Join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.